The path to success is rarely a straight line. And the path to success as a creative professional, that line tends to be especially squiggly. My name is Emmeline. I'm an independent recording artist, a singer-songwriter, a published author, and a lifelong creative. In my new series, Journey of an Artist, I talk to creatives from all walks of life about their passions, their paths, and the persistence they've employed to reach a point of professional and personal fulfillment. Throughout my journey, I've been blessed to interact with all kinds of artists, voice actors, poets, dancers, musicians, graphic designers, stylists, and more. In Journey of an Artist, we discuss the decisions they've made, the challenges they've faced, the obstacles they've overcome, and where they'd like their vision to take them next. We also reinforce the belief that with love, grit, perseverance, and an abundance of joy, anything is possible. You can live the life you want, the life that brings you the most joy, and my guests are living proof. This week, my guest is the grounded, insightful Tigrila Gardenia, formerly of Microsoft and Cirque du Soleil. Tigrila now works as a nature-inspired mentor and leadership coach, helping her clients to use the wisdom of the plant world to tap into and realize their full potential. She's here today to talk about the unique twists and turns of her journey and to share the exciting things she's doing with the naturally conscious community, the online ecosystem she's created. Welcome back to Journey of an Artist. I'm your host, Emmeline, and I'm so excited because our guest today is the fabulous Tigrila Gardenia. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing wonderfully. Wonderfully. Excellent. I'm so excited that you're here and you're joining us all the way from Italy. I am. I am. Our little pocket here. It was, I want to say it's a beautiful day, but it's actually not today. Usually is. So our little green pocket in an area called the Valcuzella, which technically means the closed valley. And yet the hidden surprises that can be found here. (laughs) I'm I'm excited to hear all about those. I'm excited for you to share how you got there with mm. our listeners. And I'm excited to talk about all of the myriad ways in which the unexpected twists and turns that our journey takes can lead us exactly where we were meant to go all along. So you started in Miami in the States. I did. Good little good little Cuban girl, like most of us were in that that time. <laughs> and you stayed in Miami, it looks like for a while, because you went to the University of Miami and you Earned a degree in music engineering and electrical engineering? Yeah, but even that's kind of a, a twisty path because when I finished high school, I was like, when I was looking at universities, I was like, I am leaving the state. I'm leaving. I'm going far away. And and I did, actually. I went to Boston University first and, um, and I thought I was going to go into law. I thought I was going to study like sociology and psychology and philosophy and do all these things. And then I realized... Um, I actually don't like these. Like, this isn't really what I want to do with my life. And so I looked back and I looked at my, like my friends and my high school, the things that really were around me all the time that I felt most passionate about. And it was two things at the time, music and mathematics. Like I loved math and I was really, you know, doing well in math and social sciences were kind of there, but at the time it was more music and math and all my friends were musicians. So I was like, Hmm, I'm not that good of a musician in that classical sense. So what could I study that gets me in the same realm and that involves the maths? Hence, music engineering and electrical engineering. That's awesome. And so you were at the University of Miami. uh, Mm -hmm. You finished up. And then what happened next? How did you... So what happened next was as I was finishing up and I started to look at what I was going to do next, um, I had, uh, so the way that our program works, because it's kind of a specialized program, 
there is a lot of people that, you know, help you out, people who are alums who come and, ex- and explain what they've been doing, because it's not one of these straightforwards, like you finish this and these are the types of careers. We had people that were um, of the people even that I still am good friends with. One of them mixes audio for movies. Another person um, creates sound equipment. Another person instead creates all kinds of like software pieces. Some people work in acoustics. Some people work in live sound. You know, there was like all these options. And I actually did three different internships because when I decided to come back to Miami, which was kind of not even expected, it just happened to be the best school in the country for that in that time frame. And so I decided that um, the best way for me to understand what I wanted to do was to kind of get my feet wet. And so I actually did my first internship at the very famous Criteria Recording Studio. And I was the um, the engineer, like the intern, second engineer for REM when they recorded the Monster album. Oh, and that was cool. a blast to really get, get the understanding of what it was like to be in the studio and check that off as like, okay, I don't want to do that. And then I did, I did a two more, one in theater sound. No, actually one in um, with a radio station. So I was an engineer in a radio station and then I did a management company. So it gave me a kind of a broad focus and it got, got me to network and really connect with a lot of people. Internships are fantastic for that. And um, so I was actually recruited by the FBI. So I thought I was going to Quantico. I thought I was going to be an audio video forensics engineer in um, for the FBI. And I went through the interview process, which we won't go into, but it was very intense because they have to make sure you're not squeamish. And so they show you a lot of stuff. Mm. And um, but the process of getting uh, clearance, so getting that that top secret clearance is actually about a six month process. And so in those six months, as I was finishing up school and I got a job in an, an, um, a pressing plant, we were pressing uh, CDs at the time. So I actually learned how to press CDs and all the you know things. I did a lot of stuff in that period. I was doing commercials. I was doing audio post-production for commercials for a big department store. And I was just testing things out while I was waiting for the FBI. And in the middle of that, I went to a conference and a friend of mine who had graduated the year before, she looked at me and she was like, you know what, somebody like I'm thinking of moving on in the position that I have in my company. And I would really love for you to come and take my position. I think you'd be great for it. And it was in Seattle, Washington, and it was with a company back then called Progressive Networks, which today we know as Real Networks. And Real Networks was the pioneer of audio and video online. Much of what we see relating to YouTube and things like that comes from technology from that. So I got the job offer from Real Networks. They flew me out to Seattle, did an interview, whatever, at the same time as the FBI came in. Oh, wow. It was like, okay, go into the high tech bubble, which we didn't know, like the internet bubble was just starting to expand. We didn't know where it was going to go. It was super volatile, really risky, or go into the extremely stable full-time, like for the rest of your life job at the FBI, where you eventually can become an expert witness. You'll probably make good money. You'll probably be really stable, but that's all you'll do for the rest of your life. And I was like, hmm, highly insecure, like risk or stable, yeah, with stock options on one side, with, you know, holiday pay or whatever on the other. I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to Seattle. So I, I went to Seattle. <laughs> That's awesome. One of the things I want to highlight about the stories that you just told, though, is the value of going to something and realizing it's not for you. Mm-hmm. 
like you talk about that being one of the beautiful things about an internship is the ability to try something on and then say, oh, no, this is not mine. And I think as creatives, sometimes we we fall into this trap of thinking that because we had an opportunity that was given to us in our field, we have to say yes to it mm-hmm. because uh, another one might never come along. Yep. And, and, and in some ways, it's interesting because I remember being still at the university and telling my mother, preparing my mom, going, mom, just so you know, my type of career, because I chose this music engineering field is so diverse. And there's so many opportunities that one, I don't know if I'll actually finish because if I get a super cool job offer, like, I don't know, such and such a big band decides that they're going to hire me to do their monitor sound or their front of house type of sound, which was something I was really going towards at that time. Um, I'm not going to pass up a tour. I can always come back and finish later. So my mentality was live the experience. And then you can always like, but do it in a way where you can come back and finish it later. And at the same time, I said to her the same thing with graduate school. I'm like, I don't know. I knew some people who were doing graduate school, but it's not a necessity um, right now in my life. And it's really funny because I ended up doing graduate school 20 years later. So I did go back to it and did do graduate school, but it was for, you know, just, and it still involved, you know, some, some of these aspects of it, but it was way later in life. So, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, going to Boston and then realizing, no, I just don't want to be here. So I'm going to come back or going and off and doing, you know, these internships and then saying, no, this one's not for me. This one has characteristics I really like. So now I know that for a job, I want to look for those types of things or this person is a really good contact. So there's always something that you can get out of it, but you don't have to think it's permanent. It's, it's not forever. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, not burning bridges, right? Allowing yourself to sort of believe in this idea of planting seeds, which you talk a lot about, but realizing that those seeds are going to come up when they're meant to come up and they might not come up immediately. So, you know, they might not even come up at all. Exactly. But it's allowing yourself to create opportunity And to say no when it really doesn't feel like the right fit, because you have to believe that there's something in you saying no for a reason that is guiding you to some yes that's going to be so much more expansive. Yeah, that's been definitely something that I've had to, that I I learned early on, which was to really, and it it's funny, I, I also will get to, and probably at some point, but obviously I walked into spiritual studies and, you know, have been a Kabbalist and live in a spiritual community and all these different aspects. But one of the things that I learned later in life was that from kind of my human design, the the person, the kind that I'm in, that I kind that I am, which is a projector really um, has an innate sense of what's right or wrong for their body. So, Mm. and can innately know when I walk into something, oh, this isn't for me, walk away. That being said, we all have fears. So what was really important was, am I, for example, when I was in Boston, am I going back? Like, am I looking for a different school because I'm just afraid? Or am I going to another school because really this doesn't fit in with me? And having that check-in and developing those tools, those, whatever that tools might be. I know people who, you know, they, they do tarot. And I know people that instead have like some kind of kinesiology. And it doesn't matter what you develop, but really developing something that says, am I doing this out of straight up fear? And if so, then what do I want to do with that? Or instead, is this really a no that my body is saying, no, this is really not what you want to be doing. And and that was really, uh, I have to say, probably one of those growth moments of realizing, oh, okay, this is just not for me. And that's okay. And that's totally okay. Yeah, I think that that is such an important distinction to make Mm -hmm. is, is the no a no of fear? 
because change is hard and scary and the uncertainty is hard and scary. And as artists, we know a lot about uncertainty, right? Those of us that are creative people know a lot about uncertainty because our whole life is uncertain, especially when compared to you wanted to go into law, right? Or when compared to those careers that have a very clearly laid path to success. Yeah, art is really uncertain. And for those of us that see the potential for a clearly laid path to success, it can be scary to say, oh, well, there's a bunch of unknown here. Right. But that idea of a no being innate versus fear-based is such a difficult thing to Mm -hmm. wrestle with, but such an important journey. Absolutely. And I think what the other step that happened over the next 10 years was to figure out what were... What are those pieces that make me feel like an opportunity is unstable, like from a fear-based and how do I then create a stability for them? So what do I need personally in order to, to be able to evaluate something on its merits rather than look at characteristics that really are not specific to that opportunity? To give you an example, I ended up, um, like I said, at at Real Network. So I spent the next five years at Real Networks developing audio and video online, which was really excited in the really, really exciting actually in the internet bubble. And at the same time, terrifying because it was the internet bubble and, and things did burst at times. And then I left and I went to Microsoft. And um, the progression to Microsoft was actually pretty smooth, except for I had a non-compete. So I had to get out of some of the creative arts for a while, um. which... Um, which was a little bit difficult. And it was what led me to eventually leave Microsoft after another five years. So I spent 10 years in high tech. And I realized in that 10 years, that was kind of the linear path, right? In some ways, high tech was volatile, but at the same time stable because it still is a company and companies like Microsoft still exist today. But I realized what was the things that I needed? Like, did I need to have a certain amount of savings? Did I have a need to have a certain type of, of career? Did I have certain types of friendships or relationships? And in there, I tested out, I, I started acting. I was, you know, I was uh, acting and singing and dancing. And so I, that was my kind of like, when I wasn't at work, I was on stage or in a film or things like that. And so I had the stability of work at that time. And then at some point I had to look at that stability of work and say, what is it that this work is giving me that makes me feel secure? And given the fact that the work itself is not necessarily what I want to continue doing, how do I fill that stability in another way? And that was what helped me, um, which for me was a lot of it. Yeah, one part of it was economic. And that has been something that I've, you know, found a way to work through. But especially in the ensuing years where I had years where I made nothing. And then years that were booms, which were great. But the other part of it was also understanding what were the relational or the community bonds that were super important to me in order for me to feel safe and secure, Um, whether that be with my family or like being able to know, okay, worst case scenario, if everything goes, you know, to hell, I can go to, I can go back to Miami or even though I, I hadn't lived there for many years, but it was in my mind, it was a stability base. And I think it's really important for all of us to look our fear straight in the eye and be like, what do I need in order to take I never realized I was making risky choices because in my head, I was focused on that piece that gave me the stability. It wasn't until a friend of mine told me many years later, and she's like, you're the person who's like taking the most amount of risk and super adventurous. And I've moved around the world and all these different aspects. It never even occurred to me. I thought I was just following a safe path Mm. because I always focused on having those, those stable elements below me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you, have 
allow that journey to sort of guide you to this place where you are now, where you're showing <laughs> other people how to take those paths. So what was the jump for you? We have in common, by the way, that you have done work with circus. Yeah. Yeah. When I, um, when I left Microsoft, I started a production company. Um, it was again, another one of those synchronicity just at your doorstep. I met some people at an event and I became really good friends with somebody. Then we became business partners and he was an artist. He was a painter at the time and a, a DJ and electronic musician. And he used to produce events and, um, I kind of stumbled into this scene from my acting career, which again, following connections, I, I auditioned for something where the producer of that event and the director of that, of that uh, theater production happened to have been somebody I worked with at Real Networks. So it, we just sort of stumbled together. And after about six months of really being in this scene, this like electronic music, intentional community, dance events, I was like, I can't work here anymore. So I walked in my office, I walked into my boss's office and I'm like, I'm giving my two weeks notice. And he's like, what? I'm like, I'm giving my two weeks notice. Like, I do not like what I'm doing. This is the direction. There's much more intentionality here. And I'm back to my creative roots. I'm back to the music scene that I couldn't go into, into Microsoft in the way that I really wanted. And that was really important to me. So going back into that music scene allowed me to sort of now play with expression, but also going back to even my music engineering, like being in the backstage, really thinking about it from a production. And that's where I um, eventually got wrangled into co-owning a circus <laughs> and we would produce events. So I had like these DJs that I was managing and electronic musicians, and I was producing large parties and large events. And then at the same time, I had this circus that I was managing and I was a co-owner of. It was really a, an experience. It was super fun. And that led to um, my partner at the time looking at me and saying, you know what? I really want to work for Cirque du Soleil. And I was like, okay, let's make it happen. And at this point, I was doing all this while like kind of pursuing my spiritual studies. So I was like, all right, we're magicians. I can put this, I can make this happen. And sure enough, we did. By six months later, he got a few job offers with Cirque du Soleil and we packed up and left. We left uh, the United States on tour with Cirque du Soleil. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. So I love that you highlight, first of all, like the terror of walking into your boss's office and being like, I'm done. Was that difficult for you or did it feel like just a natural step and you knew when you went in there that it was the right thing to do? Yeah, it kind of felt like a natural step because there was a, a series of events that were happening at the same time. There was all these opportunities that were happening while at the same time, the opportunities at Microsoft were starting to close down for lots of different reasons. So for me, the things that I was interested in being in were closing, closing and closing and then all this other aspect was opening and it felt um, it felt just very natural. It felt very natural to look, my boss and, and I are still good friends. He's somebody that has come to my events and, you know, we've, we've gone to many things together. And so he just looked at me at the time and he, he had said to me, and it's interesting because you, it's very easy to have regrets. If, when you look back, if you, if you didn't feel that, for example, that person, my, my ex-boss went on to fund one of the most interesting and successful product projects at uh, Microsoft. He um, was the head of Xbox for many years. And then he's the person that developed the HoloLens. So he is like skyrocketed in every aspect. He's a technical fellow. He's very well regarded. And he had told me, if you stay on my team, we will, like, we're going to catapult. And I believed him. 
but it's not, it wasn't my catapult. It was his catapult. Xbox is cool, but I'm not a gamer. And HoloLens is very cool, but I'm like 3D reality. I like this reality just fine. So it's easy to look at mixed media and all these aspects and be like, wow, I could have been there. But at the same time, I wouldn't have had any of the adventures that I had. I wouldn't be living in Europe. I wouldn't be a Domiher. I wouldn't have, you know, tour of a Cirque. I wouldn't have had any of that. So I think understanding and being not not being attached again out of that fear probably allowed those strings to or those opportunities to naturally close up. And while they were some of them were painful, I won't even lie. Some of them were like, why is this happening to me? But when I kept saying, why is this happening to me? This other stuff kept opening up and that made it much more easy to understand, oh, this is happening to me because I'm attached to something that's no longer mine. I'm going to go try this out. And I, and again, in my head, because I didn't leave with any kind of negative relationship or anything like that in my head, I could always go back. Worst case scenario. I just go back and apply at Microsoft. I can, if I got a job once I can get a job again. So for the next, like probably 15 years in my mind, that was my mentality. My security blanket is I could always go back to Microsoft. Yeah. And it sounds like that having that in the back of your mind gave you the freedom to pursue whatever you needed to pursue because you were like, oh, well, maybe there's a security blanket. But you also knew that that it sounds like that that felt like a security blanket. Yeah. And like that felt like doing the quote unquote safe thing rather than the right thing. Right. Right. I wasn't we had already been talking about moving to a different, you know, to moving to a different state, at least. I kind of always knew I wanted to leave the country. So there was all these little aspects that were, okay, if I tune in and I listen to them and I accept that and I, and I realize, and I also, I think it's about being comfortable with your own creativity of knowing I will find a way to make this all work out. I'm going to find a way I'm going to be open. I'm going to listen to what opportunities come to me. I'm not going to take things. I mean, and I have to say there's one big thing. And I think this from a creative perspective has also been one point has always helped me. There are no menial jobs if you can learn from them. So when I left Microsoft and I was working, for example, and I was producing, I didn't always know how to produce really great events. So I got a job. um, I kind of got a job freelancing as a security person for some of the big clubs. I, I ended up connecting to the team who eventually became my security team for my events. But I started off in there, not so much thinking about, yeah, making money, which did was great and allowed me to continue to do certain things, but also as a learning experience. The same as when I worked with REM, I was technically the second engineer. I was the intern. I could have been outside of the room at all times, but you, you do it as a learning experience. You watch the receptionist, you watch the musicians, you look at the, at the control room, you start to get you know, even if you're cleaning the control room, you get an idea of what's happening. And then you use that to continue to move forward and continue to grow. So I think especially as I've heard from lots of creative folks, it's like, oh, I would never take that kind of job that's below me. I've got a college degree or I've got a whatever, whatever. 
If you take it out of the fear of I need money or I need this, then you're going to stay closed. But when I was working at Criteria Recording Studios with, with REM and after that they left and I continued on for a few more months with my internship, the receptionist there was actually a guitar player and a singer who was in that role because he wanted to meet people. So he was there to learn and everything. And eventually he became the guitarist for Matchbox 20 because mm. Matchbox 20 came in, needed a, a, somebody to record some tracks. He recorded some tracks. They liked him and he became the next guitarist in, in Matchbox 20. So these are the ways that we learn and we grow is yeah. through these types of opportunities. Exactly. Through those jobs that we perceive as menial. But like you said, there's opportunity everywhere, right? Yeah. And you don't take them with the menial. Like I never looked at security job as menial because I really wanted to learn. I was like, what am I supposed to learn when I'm looking at a fake ID? Because if I'm producing an event and I'm liable, if there's a minor in here, I want to know what I'm supposed to be looking for. Yeah. Or, you know, more importantly, how do I break up something that seems very tense and potentially could become violent? The, the person that I worked with, um, a, a security guard named Bama, who is like the head of security for several of the teams, that he was amazing because he could just talk everybody down he would never have to kick anybody out unless things got really extreme. He just, so I learned how to have this really demeaning, I mean, demeaning, not demeaning, sorry, this really calm, tranquil sort of thing. And to be able to understand what was happening and find a solution that works for everybody to then slowly escort somebody outside. And de-escalation is a valuable skill anywhere. Exactly. In it has corporate- served me well over the years. <laughs> I was yeah in any environment mm-hmm. um the ability to hear all sides right and to find the humanity in everybody right exactly and to sort of call attention to that humanity in everybody and say look we're all the same here <laughs> nobody's exactly. better than everybody else and it sounds like that's a skill that you also bring to the coaching that you do now mm-hmm. is this ability to sort of find humanity and potential in everyone you work with Absolutely. And to help them help my, I I love helping my clients give themselves permission to be who they really are. So what are those safety pieces that you need in order to give yourself permission? Where are the places that you're judging yourself or that you have a, a limiting belief that's come from something? How do we evolve all of these so that they become traits that you can really still use? And, and it's been a continuing sort of thread through everything I did I mean, everything I've ever done has always been to, I've always said that my kind of like life purpose is to help make the dreams of others come true. And that's extremely important was something that I really needed to come to an understanding with when I started to study, you know, here I am in the music world and I'm an engineer and yet I'm still a creative, I'm still an artist because without what I do, whether I'm, you know, fixing a microphone or I'm, you know, recording a really great sound or whether I'm standing on stage when I was the backstage manager for Cirque, I am still ensuring that that creative art goes on and happens. And so really being comfortable with the fact that I wasn't going to be in the limelight, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, that doesn't diminish my role and that it is okay that if everything goes right, nobody will recognize that I'm there because whether I was at one, even when I was a project manager at Microsoft and stuff, if things went right, 
everything was smooth. You probably only got recognition from your boss. But if everything went wrong, anything at all went wrong, they were going to look for you. But that's the creativity. That's that was that's my expression of creativity of recognizing the people, seeing what needs to be done, seeing the steps, three steps ahead, and helping people really feel empowered to take those steps. Yeah, absolutely. And giving people, like you said, permission to step into whatever their purpose is, even if that purpose is unconventional, or Mm -hmm. even if that purpose doesn't yield the fruits that they think they want, like the limelight, right? I think that that's, that's a difficult journey for a lot of us. There's so many social messages that we combat at any given time just by being human. But by being creative humans, I feel like there's an additional layer of social messaging that can be really damaging psychologically. And it sounds like you took a very intentional step early on in your career to dig into the spiritual element of what you were doing so that it wasn't just about, you know, following that creative path and searching for opportunities on a professional level, but you were very dedicated to figuring out who you were spiritually and how to honor that. What was the impetus for that? When did you decide to really step into spirituality? Well, I kind of growing up in Miami, you're sort of surrounded a little bit by the magic world. You can't can't really get away from it. And, and so there is this sort of belief that, you know, we are here for this mutual relationship with powers that are beyond our own. But it probably wasn't until my late 20s and early 30s when I realized that uh, I didn't actually know what my own happiness was anymore. You know, I had done so many different things that I really enjoyed and I was doing these paths. But I realized that, for example, at the the tail end of my my time at Microsoft, my, my big question was, why am I still here? You know, I'm away from the music scene. Um, I'm not really participating in those creative arts the way I want to. I know I don't want to act professionally, so it's not so much that I feel like I'm supposed to give things up, but is it the money? And if it's the money, is it really the money? Like, what is it? And again, going back to that whole, I'm not in the limelight, but like you said, as creative individuals, we get these messages that are like, you're supposed to be the lead singer, or if not, you're lost in everything. And it's like, wait, no. And there's, there is something to be said about that support. And also not everybody um, is nourished by that kind of attention. So some people are really nourished by having that, that fanfare and having that visibility in one way. And some people are really nourished. Like I get really nourished when I see a job well done or when one of my clients achieves something that they really want, or when a product that I've participated in hits it, you know, hits the top of what it's supposed to do. Um, that to me is really nourishing when people are able to pick and choose the elements of their life that are most important and put them together and get paid for that or be sustainable. And so I think the impetus for me was to understand what is it that I'm really looking for? Because for so many people, the message is you're supposed to make money and that's your trigger of success. I was just having that conversation with somebody the other day where I was talking about success and I was looking at a program that I had put out and I was like, I'm looking to see what I can do to make it more successful. And the person's response thought that I was saying, how do I make it make more money? And I was like, that's never been my measure of success. I want to be able to support myself and I want to be able to do the things that I love freely and comfortably. But if that comes because somebody gifts me something or if that comes because I get a huge payout or if that comes because of something else. So sustainability is really important. Regeneration is super important, but not so much from the perspective of just what's my bank account number. That's, you know, that's not it. Mm -hmm. 
So I think late in my 20s and early in my 30s, and I started to study more spiritual studies, going into more magic, esoteric, and, and Kabbalistic type of understanding of myself made me realize that my, my level of success is freedom. Like for the longest time, I was super happy because I knew that if I ever wanted to move somewhere, all I had to do was pack one car. I had everything in a car load. And I was comfortable with that. I was super happy with not having furniture because everywhere I went, furniture just appeared. And I was super happy with, you know, what I only thing I needed was space to put my artwork because I love artwork. So I'm like, that's it. All I want is my work. But talking about that, like being without realizing so focused on it, when I first moved to Italy, in particular, I shipped the only thing I shipped from the US were three paintings and a small artistic table. And because of circumstances that are very connected to Italian bureaucracy, it got stuck in customs and I was told that they were going to be destroyed because I didn't get them in time. That was 10 years ago. And today, so it was one of the only regrets that I have because um, they were art pieces that were very special to me. One of them was from an artist friend. And it was like to the idea of losing these art pieces was just pretty tragic. It's And I just moved into a new place recently and I've been re-falling in love with art and like covering my walls with my artwork. And I got a phone call. I got a letter that said, when are you going to come pick up this stuff? It's sitting at customs for the last 10 years. Oh, wow. They never destroyed it. So I never got angry about it. I accepted that this was something that at the time I didn't have the money to get it. Today, I easily have the money to get it. I understood. I did not like the process, but I accepted it and always held this little space for those like, you know, like I honor you and thank you so much for being there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I understand that for whatever reason, I'm not supposed to have you in my life right now. And thank God in some ways, because I wouldn't have been able to move them around the way I did for all those years. And yet when I, when another level of stability came in, in they come. So now they're beautifully here decorating my walls. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, so it really is that your your spiritual core is is regardless of whatever it is that you study is about finding those true parts of yourself and that's I think what I love about coaching and mentoring is that I get to work with people who are looking to create their to bring out the full expression of their true nature in the most creative way possible and in the most nourishing way possible. So I work a lot with nature. And so nourishment is extremely important, not just sustainability, not just like surviving, but really thriving and really flourishing, Mm -hmm. which has very specific definitions around the idea of regeneration, community growth, whatever it is that you really need. I truly believe that, especially in this day of the internet, we can create it. Yeah. Well, and you've seen that happen firsthand, right? Because you were there when all of it was beginning to be created, at least in the huge way that it exists now. It's so true. So it's amazing to me to think that all those videos that I used to watch to check the quality have now become things like YouTube and Zoom. And it's like, wow. And, you know, nobody's going to give you, nobody's patting you on the back. I mean, we once had a a whole mess of us from Real Networks, like had a conversation one time online and we were saying how, wow, we really were the pioneers, but it's not like anybody really remembers us. It's a thing that, you know, inside and you just feel good that you enabled that to actually happen. You don't need any external validation for it. Well, and I mean, you, I think 
it goes back to the definition of external validation, right? Like, mm -hmm. what is external validation? Because if external validation is people coming up to you and being like, oh my God, you are so amazing. You might not get that. But what mm -hmm. you see in external validation is the fact that this thing that you helped to pioneer has flourished. It's true. I mean, really, like you guys do get external validation every time you log into Zoom or every time yeah. you go onto YouTube and see a video. Like that's something you participated in creating. Right. And the external validation is, hey, this project that I poured so much of my time and energy into has lived not only through me, but beyond me to service billions of people. Mm -hmm. And that's really And I think that's, that's, that's exactly how I felt when we were sitting in, uh, in our Windows meetings. I felt like, oh, wow, every decision we make touches you know, millions of people or in anything. And, and it's a, it's a natural property. That's, I think that's the part that we need to tap into the most. It is actually a part of nature. It's called stigmergy and stigmergy is a phenomenon in nature where each um, like we each, each entity or each being can pick up from the trace of the one before it without actually even knowing what the one before did. Mm -hmm. So you see this a lot in ants where ants have specific roles and they contribute through their very, their different roles. And they're always feeling, you can say success at the overall hive. They think that the overall nest that they've created is super important, but all they're doing is just putting in their little tiny piece and they trust that the other pieces are being put into others. I see it here where I live with the creation of the temples of humankind. We don't actually know what everything that's being done in there, but when we see an overall success or you know, the temples have some part of the work that gets done, something that's visible or um, is expressed in the news or some really amazing operation that happens here, like we see that and we all feel successful. We all feel pride for it. So that trust that I'm doing my piece and that my whatever it is that I'm here to do is the thing that I'm doing, then everything else will sort of click into place and everything else will grow in the direction. We know that the world is not perfect. And so and a lot of times, for example, I right now ask myself, what is the piece that I need to do to make sure we're moving in the right in the right direction, but I can see whether or not that's what I'm doing because the way of my life moves. So I think that, as you said, it's really feeling from a stigmatistic perspective that my droplet, my one action, my one piece is truly tying into something bigger. And when the, and just trusting, not knowing when that bigger is, but yet at the same time, when I see the bigger, recognizing it going, like I never would have imagined Zoom, somebody else did. I would have never imagined YouTube at that level, but somebody else did. But I can see that little tiny drop and say, ah, oh, that was me. And, or that was something that I contributed to. Yeah, absolutely. And really, I mean, that's what we're all creating, right? Is something creative. Mm -hmm. And ideally we contribute something that inspires someone else to create. Right. Absolutely. And that's, it sounds like that, na that natural process that you're talking about. Yes, that's exactly it. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I love that you go to plants because that is your domain. Can you talk a little bit about as coaching um, and as a coach, you really tap into the wisdom and the knowledge of nature to help your clients find their purpose? 
yeah. So as I move through my different parts of you know my life, circus arts, this and that, at one point, I really started to understand plants at a new level. Um, it kind of came through my music background again. So always through those creative arts and why I think that they're so important because I learned of a device that we built here in the location where I live in Dominher um, called the music of the plants. And it's a device that allows plants to become musicians, to make music. And that music for me, the first time I heard it felt like a language, I guess, being the fact that I had always lived my life from a musical perspective. And it's always been music that has tapped me. And this is why I'm, I'm such um I have a very soft spot for anybody who is an artist of any sort, but especially musicians, because I feel like that contribution is not always seen of the effects that you have on others. I mean, yeah, of course you can see it with the big bands or with this, but I have tons of artwork that was done by small artists that I just completely changes my life and, and transforms me every day from what I get out of that. So it's something I always want to support. And so the music of the plants allowed me to sort of tap into this, use my ability to understand the language of music in to start of start to listen to the plant mind and i tend to be somebody who when i fall in love with something i go the deep dive as many of us do and so i did the deep dive and started to really learn about plant intelligence understand about plant thinking plant logic plant wisdom and there's so much out there i mean some of it's instinctual some of it's indigenous some of it comes from a scientific perspective it totally tapped all of my like all my different parts i've always said that i love stem which is you know science technology uh engineering and mathematics which are me but then it, it became the steam part which is adding that big a of yes. you know arts in the middle of it and really bringing that all together for me so the deeper i went i eventually got my masters and um, i have a very strange masters called vegetal future which is plants social innovation and design and then moved into coaching after that and mentorship and really i did that because again everything we've talked about about how much i love cultivating new people to help them to be that mirror of of the mirror to help them see the greatness that I see I, I would love for everybody to be able to see them through the eyes that I see them because usually I see like all these amazing connections so just being there and being able to asking powerful questions but specifically using plant logic because what I love about plants is that we are nature we forget this but we are nature and plants have such a different way of approaching the world that's so natural and flowing and at the same time uses a logic very different from human logic. But remembering that I am nature, then I remember that I can reawaken my those same kind of different ways of looking at things. So I'm not limited by my human mind. I'm not limited by the social constructs or the cultural constructs that we've built up, that plants have been here for. 470 plus million years, mm -hmm. they have been developing, cultivating, creating. I mean, we see them break through rock. We see them create new terrain. We see them turn barren areas into lush. And that's exactly what we as humans want to do. We want to do all those same things. So that recognition and that reawakening that we are nature helps us see that we were given all the opportunities and all the skills and all the talents and all the necessities in order to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So working with plant logic allows me to help people see 
not the construct, although yes, I love that you went to school and I love what you've learned. And I'm not saying to throw any of that away, but the way we glue it together could be done in a much more natural way where we allow our own creativity and our own um, our own investigation, the use of our own senses to put those pieces together in a way that works for you, which is exactly what each individual plant does. And to become extremely adaptable, to flexible, to knowing when to do things. When do I adapt? When do I transform? When do I die off in you know, the metaphorical sense? Um, but, you know, where do I do this? And plants allow me to step outside of the things that have been holding me back because I'm stepping into something that's completely new. Yeah, it sounds like it's really that shedding of the human centric narrative that allows you to see beyond the possibilities in the human centric narrative, right? Like there's a benefit to allowing ourselves to see ourselves as the center of the universe. But there are also a lot of drawbacks because we become limited by, you know, that three feet circle around us. And all of a sudden, all we see is what's in our immediate vision, or within our immediate experience. But it sounds like you've tapped into this world that expands that viewpoint by allowing you to find not only commonalities within humanity, but commonalities within nature as a whole. Exactly. And one of the things I love is that plants are such great examples of individuals inside of an interrelated community, right? They have, they're always members of an ecosystem, regardless of whether or not it's a pot plant, like that's, there's still an ecosystem in there in that house plant. And yet at the same time, always an individual with individual characteristics and individual ways that that plant has developed. So you could have two species six feet apart from one another, and they are going to be completely individual, like with, with their own characteristics, because the environment is slightly different. And we're the same way. We're all human. We're all nature. We're all animal. We're all, all these things. And yet at the same time, an individual, a plant doesn't have a problem with living that duality or those, those different kind of points of view simultaneously. So the narrative is not so much, I need to choose which way to be. It's more of, I can be it all. What are the talents or what are the characteristics of all of the genes that I have in me right now, of all of the things that I've been given, whether you're talking about physical or spiritual, what are the things I need to tap into and turn on in this moment in order to be most successful or to be the most beautiful representation of who I am? And I think that that's the piece that plants kind of can help us not only see, but feel because that biophilic effect, that that love of life that we have, that love of nature that we innately have is a resonance to who we are internally. So we have even from the, for, through awe and through wonder and through other sensations, have the ability to directly tap into that feeling and r- recognize who we truly are. Yeah. And like you said, who we truly are is both individual and communal. Mm -hmm. And recognizing that one doesn't take away from the other, but that they actually inform and enhance each other. Exactly. Because you don't have to worry if your contribution is enough or not when you recognize it as part of a much larger contribution, when you recognize that you are one part of this enormous whole that's constantly working in tandem. Yep. It makes it much easier for you to make conscious decisions. And it more than anything, again, it gives you that permission to say, well, if I'm in this ecosystem, there's got to be something that I'm supposed to contribute that's unique in mine. That's why I'm here. 
And so now you start to ease up on what's been imposed on you, which is really important to liberate yourself from and to have the freedom to make and evolve into those aspects of yourself. I mean, plants are constantly turning on and off genes that they have. They've, they can do that throughout their lifetimes and through multiple lifetimes. And the truth is, so can we. We just need to trust in that process. Yeah, I love that you highlight all of that. I think it's so important. And when people check out your website, when they really see how you bring all of these elements together, one thing that you talk a lot about that I want to highlight before before we call it a day is this focus on imposter syndrome and on really the toxicity of fear in trying to pursue your purpose. You talk a right. lot about the inner critic and you talk a lot about how it's really necessary to step outside of those harsh voices and to step outside of construct of imposter syndrome and the way it feeds into our thinking in order to reach your full potential. Yeah. And this is, I think, why I don't do it alone. And this is what I love about communities and, and ecosystems. So I actually have my own um, kind of like mini Facebook. It's called the Naturally Conscious Community. And it's an, a place where all of my, not just clients, but anybody who's even interested in plant-inspired or nature-inspired uh, leadership and thinking can, can step in because we need more than just one reflection. And even in my programs, so when I work one-on-one -on -one with somebody, we work most of the time one-on-one, -on -one, but they're always involved and included into other programs that I have of learning about plants, but also um, group, group collaboration and, and mentorship and things like that, because we need those other mirrors to sort of see we're not in it alone. So I need to develop myself, and this is where the one-on-one -on -one aspect comes from, but at the same time, I need to take that whatever I evolve into needs to integrate into the ecosystems in which I live. And the best way to do that is to have a safe environment, um, what we call an ecotone, a space in between where you can, in between these ecosystems of where I am and where I want to go, where I can play, I can be fluid, I can test out new things, I can expose myself and see what happens. I can use the feedback of others in order to understand, even if that feedback comes back harsh, and then I can learn how to communicate differently. And I can really move through that fear that is what paralyzes most people. I mean, really, I believe that the core of everything we do from egocentrical behavior to, you know, becoming really small, oftentimes started off as something that was useful at the time that it was first born because maybe it protected you or maybe it helped you overcome a situation. But then what's happened is that we tapped into the fear element of that and we've expanded it and it's taken over our thinking to become imposter syndrome, to feel like it's uh, we're unworthy, to think that we're not good enough, that it's not going to work, all of these different limiting beliefs that we put in there. So the environment, the ecosystem helps you see that every element of the ecosystem is important. 
Mm-hmm. And that you have now this safe environment where you have me as like somebody who can hold your hand, an entire community of people who will hold that space and allow you to play through these evolutions, which for me take a long time. Like I don't, I don't have any programs that are, you know, three months or anything. I mean, I do have a three month program, but it's kind of like the basics. It's really a year mm-hmm. because it takes that time for you to fully master your evolution. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and that evolution is not just an individual process that happens on an island in a tiny like bomb shelter, right? It involves everybody around you. It involves the community you incorporate into your life. It involves the communities you go and seek out. Um, I think that's a really beautiful message that we don't evolve alone. Mm-hmm. We don't. We don't. And we shouldn't. We're not meant to. We're never, and, and there, that's exactly the whole point. We as humans are social beings. We always grow in, not just with other humans, but also in relation to our environment. We transform with our environment and the greatest, um, the greatest characteristics that we have evolved have always evolved as a co-evolutive process with those around us, whether that be plants or whether that be humans, whether that be other animals, Dogs, for example, the fact that dogs use their eyebrows Mm. in order to express is something that they co-evolved for humans. Dogs themselves do not talk with their eyebrows, but humans recognize eyebrow expressions as expressions of the face. And so therefore, dogs have evolved to use their eyebrows when communicating with humans. So this is a co-evolution that's happened in order for two species to better be able to communicate back and forth. And there's tons of examples of that. So imagine that when I'm with somebody else and I look at them as with their beautiful talents, they hold space for me, I hold space for them. How much faster can I evolve past my problems when I have that support system, when I'm not paralyzed in fear, when I'm given the space to make mistakes and I'm given that permission to say things that seem off the wall, but that will probably turn into something amazing. That's the full creative space. That's where the creative is given that full reign and all of the mediums in order to paint and create whatever it is that is the true calling of your true nature. Absolutely. I love that you taught, and it gets back to your idea, right? Which is that sustainability is freedom. Exactly, exactly. It's the freedom to evolve and the freedom to grow and the freedom to try things that might not work. Um, the freedom to accept that the path might not be laid out for you stone by stone by stone, but that that's okay because you exist not by yourself in this scary space where you have to find it, but in this space where you're constantly working with the other forces around you to create your own path. Exactly. And that's where the key to happiness lies. That's That's what flourishing is. That's so beautiful. I love all of this. I, I'm so grateful that you've taken the time to come on to talk today. I, I love your energy and I think your light is so special and I'm so glad we were introduced by another alum of the show, Ms. Maggie Welsh, who is kind enough to bring us together. Um, if people Maggie. are, I know she's tremendous. Yes. If anybody has not met Maggie, heard her episode, definitely go look her up. Um, and sh- you and her work in tandem. We do. We do. Maggie is, is an integral part of my team. I know there's so many things I wouldn't be able to do. Talk about co-evolution. A lot of things and a lot of, of, uh, of those leaps that I've been able to take has been thanks to the support of Maggie. Oh, 
That's and other members of my team who are amazing, each one of them in their way. And they push me beyond my barriers. Like they push me to always expand and to, to be able to put out more of the things that I feel like the world really needs right now. That's so beautiful. I love that you talk about the importance of community and you know, there's our external validation, right? Is knowing that we're, we've participated in the growth of someone else and that mm-hmm. they're participating in, in our growth and that that is a continual process that keeps going and going and going and touches the world in ways we can't even conceive. Exactly. And that's what I love. The, I, have a, I have a book club. We have a plant-inspired book club. And Very in cool. the book that we're reading right now, the main kind of overarching topic is reciprocity. Reciprocity. That oh, belief that like, I give... And I also receive, and and we're talking about it from different angles, spiritual angles, scientific angles. She's the author is really going into how nature thrives with human interaction when it's done with full reciprocity and how, you know, we also thrive in environments where there is reciprocity. Yeah, for sure. How, when we give of ourselves, we receive. That's beautiful. If people are listening to this and thinking, oh my gosh, Tigrila is amazing. How do I connect with her community? How do I get involved in this? And how can she help me overcome the fear in my life so that I can realize my full potential? Where's the best place for people to find you? For sure, my website. So place first place to start is my website, which is just my name. So it's www.tigrilagardenia.com. And then from there, my second step always, there's where you're going to get good information. You're going to see some of the different tools that I have and the resources that I offer and the classes and all these different how to work with me in general. But then the other special, special place that I hope you will go and check out because there's, I'm just so, I'm like beaming like a proud, like grandma, I feel like I am now at this point with the amount that everybody else is doing, you know, the grandma just sits back and watches how this thing is growing is my community, which is called the naturally conscious community. And it's really easy to get to because it's just community.tigrilagardenia.com. And there you will find everything also. And it's, it's just a, such a special place. I never would have imagined the conversations and the level of, of uh, union between the people that are there when I first created it. Because, you know, Facebook groups are kind of, they're cool and you get to see the same names over and over again, but they're, you don't really get to know the people at those levels yeah. here because it's separate from Facebook. It's on a different platform. It's just us. It allows us to really get in there. That's where you'll find my book club and my classes and all and all these other wonderful scintillating conversations. That's beautiful. I can't wait for people to check it out. So if people are listening on the radio, it's Tigrila, which is T-I-G-R-I-L-L-A, Gardenia, which is G-A-R-D-E-N-I-A. And if they're listening on a podcast, all you have to do is scroll up and click and we'll have it linked below. But again, Tigrila Gardenia, T-I-G-R-I-L-L-A-G-A-R-D-E-N-I-A. And that's it. And then to access the community. And there's a call to action on the website where people can join the community. Yes. But you can get there directly by going to community.tigrilagardenia.com. So beautiful. My friend, I am so grateful for the light you're putting out in the world and the way you're encouraging people to share their light. Because I think that's really where the magic happens is when we recognize our part and putting just a little bit of light out there and contributing to the larger light that's going to guide all of those creatives forward. So thank you for participating in this conversation today and for doing your part to encourage other people to do theirs. And thank you so much for creating this space. My pleasure. My pleasure. You'll have to come back and join us again sometime. Happily. Without a doubt.
Thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of Journey of an Artist, featuring nature-inspired mentor and leadership coach Tigrila Gardenia. To learn more about Tigrila, to follow her journey, or to join her naturally conscious community for free, visit her official website at tigrilagardenia.com. That's T-I-G-R-I-L-L-A-G-A-R-D-E-N-I-A dot com. For behind-the-scenes information and more about Journey of an Artist, you can follow me, Emmeline, on social media at at Emmeline Music. That's at E-M-M-E-L-I-N-E Music. Journey of an Artist airs Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time on Deep Ellum Radio and is available as a podcast the very next day. My other show, Journey of a Song, airs Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on Deep Ellum Radio, and past episodes are available wherever you listen to podcasts. I'll see you next week with brand new episodes. Until then, stay passionate.